Well, good morning, church family. It really is a privilege to be with you uh, here. It was almost a year ago that Catherine and I were here, and we were uh, then looking forward to, and uh, we have now been experiencing for a number of months, uh, this uh, residency that we're doing at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. It really has been an incredible joy. We've grown. We've learned a lot, and we are, we're so thankful for our church family here at Christ the King for your love and support, uh, for your prayers. Uh, we've really felt them, and we'd love to answer any other questions or share more about that with you all after the service. Please, please come forward uh, to ask us anything you'd like. It was, it was also a couple of years ago that I had the uh, privilege to bring God's Word to you, and uh, Catherine noted to me, I remember after that Sunday, how I just kind of jumped straight into the sermon and didn't acknowledge the somewhat backwardness of, I'm used to being out there, and to be on this side of the pulpit's a little bit weird, but... Uh, but it really is a privilege um, to come and, in a sense, give a return on your investment. <laughs> I mean, y'all, y'all have been praying for me, and you, you've, some of you have seen, you know, some of my less uh, honorable days. So, um, so real, I'm really glad to be here and open God's Word with you and to see what He has to teach us this morning. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, I know last week uh, on Easter, Penny preached from verses uh, 1 through 12. Uh, And I really enjoyed, Penny, wherever you went, listening to that uh, sermon. It was really encouraging. And for those of you who are here, you'll uh, remember that uh, in that account, Luke's account of the empty tomb, uh, Luke teaches us that uh, the empty tomb changes, the resurrection changes our expectations of how the world works, the kinds of expectations that at the tomb we would expect to find death, but instead we find life the kind of changed expectation that we would think that it's the privileged or the strong who receive honor, but it's actually, uh, it's actually those uh, who are marginalized and those who are ignored. Thanks, Penny. Um, who, receive, who receive honor from our Lord. That's the kind of God we serve. And then the changed expectation that uh, Jesus doesn't leave sinners to wallow in their tears like Peter was doing, but instead he gives sinners hope. Those who sow tears of weeping, tears of repentance, will reap uh, joy, will reap hope and forgiveness and eternal life. So if that's what the empty tomb teaches us in that account, my hope this morning is that the story in the next section of Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, will teach us something about how Jesus reveals himself to us in unexpected ways. So I'm kind of thinking of this as a follow-up sermon to what Penny preached on last week. So let's read this story together. Luke chapter 24, and we can look for some of the surprising ways that Jesus reveals himself there. So if you'll turn with me to God's word, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
but we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, I truly believe that you have called each one of us into this place at this moment in time. I humbly ask, Lord, that you would now speak to us through your word. Please, would you quiet our hearts and calm our minds? Would you open our ears to hear from you this morning? Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Make yourself known. Would you make this a time of molding and conforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus? Do this because I ask it hopefully and expectantly in your holy name. Amen. So Jesus reveals himself in unexpected ways. Y'all think that's true? I'm getting a lot of head nods. That's good. Some of you right off the bat could say yes. Yeah, I think that's true. But I want you to think back to your testimony. Think back, for those of you who are Christians, uh, when you came to faith in Christ. Did it happen in a way that, or at a time, perhaps, that you didn't expect? Was it uh, when, you, when you least expected it? Was it more natural? How did Jesus reveal himself to you? Maybe for some of you, it was at a time or as a result of really difficult or undesirable circumstances. Maybe uh, the likelihood of you coming to faith in light of your family background was highly unlikely. Maybe uh, you don't really remember when it happened. Perhaps some of you don't have a a melodramatic story when you can remember vividly the the scales falling, as it were, from your eyes. But maybe maybe some of you that is. That is your story. Perhaps, Perhaps some of you can't remember a day in your life when you have not loved Jesus. And let me just tell you, What a blessed gift of grace that is. I hope that none of you ever feel tempted 
apologize for that. I feel bad for that. But whatever you're, and actually there's, there's probably some of you in here that, uh, that aren't yet believers in Jesus. You have, have yet to place your faith in Jesus. And I want to reiterate, uh, I know Penny says this regularly, we're, we're really glad you're here. And I hope that you'll listen and seriously consider what you hear and what you see this morning and that we'd love to talk with any of you afterwards uh, about that. I know any of the leadership would be glad to do that. But whatever your story is, whatever your relationship with Jesus might be uh, right now, my hope is that the unexpected ways that Jesus reveals himself uh, will encourage you. I hope that they'll comfort you, but I also hope that they'll convict you and me. Because I think the issue that, that we're dealing with in our passage that we see is an issue of spiritual blindness uh, that, that all of us have, just like the disciples have. We need, all of us, to, for Jesus to reveal himself to us, to cure us of our spiritual blindness as he did for these disciples on the road to Emmaus. These two disciples were kind of fringe followers of Jesus. They weren't uh, some of his closest. They weren't part of the 12 or the 11 uh, they didn't understand, really, who Jesus was. Um, but these are the first two that Jesus decides to appear to after his resurrection. And he graciously and lovingly reve- reveals himself. But I think he does it in some ways that we might not expect. And so I want to look at how Jesus reveals himself first in stages, as you see in your bulletin, and then in the scriptures, and then thirdly, in the sacraments. So let's look at that first, that first way he reveals himself in, in stages. This is, this is more of a, the mode, I think, of how Jesus reveals himself. Uh, we, see, we see these stages of Jesus revealing himself in our story throughout the whole narrative, including the verses that talk about uh, in the scriptures and in the, and in the sacraments. But I want us to, what I want us to see is that curing spiritual blindness for all of us is a process, and that the stages of healing, uh, they often actually begin earlier than we realize. And so let's, let's look at our story. That first stage that I want to point out is, is an early stage. The early stages, uh, Jesus revealing himself really begins before, this, before he even encounters them on the road to Emmaus. And we know that because in verse 19, they already know something about Jesus. That he's a prophet, mighty in deed and word. They already have hopes about who Jesus is in verse 21, hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And we know that they're Jews. And so they, they grew up in the faith. They, they grew up as, a, as, a son, as sons or Some say the other uh, disciple was perhaps a woman. So a son or daughter in the church, in Israel, in in, uh, Judaism in that day. So they knew the scriptures. This is is how our God works in the background, in the early stages of our lives. But then we see a stage of awareness or a stage of wrestling, I guess we could say, that um, Jesus gives them opportunity to address some of the things that they're struggling with. Uh, He asks them about what they're talking about. And it says that they stood still. They looked sad. They begin to share about uh, what we know are misconceptions about who Jesus was, right? He was, he was much more than a, just a prophet. Uh, they have a misunderstanding about why Jesus came and, and what real redemption is, what is needed. Uh, they have a confusion about why Jesus was killed by their chief priests, they, they're, they're confused about why the tomb was empty. Uh, they're, they're uncertain about whether uh, this testimony of the women was actually true or not. Uh, is it actually possible that Jesus is alive? And so then we, we, we see this sort of shift when, after they share that of, into, a, I think, a, a stage of, of learning. Jesus 
Uh, He doesn't leave them in their ignorance of the scriptures, which he bluntly calls them out on. Uh, But he he starts to educate them. He starts to answer their questions and their confusions, interpreting the scriptures to them. And notice that this is still pre-sight. This is before he has cured them of their blindness. And I think that means that sometimes, whatever our confusions are, Jesus begins to answer those even before we really know who he is. God is at work even before this stage of revelation. And we'll talk some more about how he does that in the scriptures in our second point. It says that the day came to an end. Uh, They got to Emmaus. And so then I see this, this, Jesus almost cultivating this this stage of of urgency, of desire, because uh, it it says that he acted as if he was going to go further, right? But they, they urged him. They had a fire in their heart, which we, we see in a minute. They say that their hearts burned within them. Uh, and, and so he knows. When we, have, when we see this stage of urgency, the stage of desire, Jesus knows we're ready to see him. He knows that we're ready for him to reveal himself to us. And so then we come to this stage of revelation, the stage of our eyes being opened just as he caused their eyes to be blind at the beginning to not recognize him, he also causes their eyes to be opened. Jesus is very intentional about the stages that he brings us through as he reveals himself to us. And here it happens in the sacrament, in the breaking of the bread. Again, we'll talk some more about that in a moment. But then the last stage that I see here is a stage of what I call reflection. And this is, this is the one that I think shows that the process of Jesus revealing himself is a process. It's not a, a and, and it's a continual one. It's not just linear. This isn't just a, we don't graduate from one stage necessarily to the next. We all experience that in our Christian lives. As we, the stage of wrestling, stage of learning, right? Those, those are ones that are constant that we experience in our, in our Christian walks. It says that the disciples reflect on how their hearts had burned within them on the road it gave them this, this earnestness to share uh, and to, to go. It says that same hour, they go all the way back, the whole seven-mile trip to Jerusalem. They come to the 11 closest disciples of Jesus, and they exclaim, the Lord is risen indeed. Right? That's, what, that's what Revelation does in us. When we reflect on who Jesus is and who he's revealed himself to be, this is, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of reaction it gives us. But you might ask, like, What's unexpected about these stages? Right? What's unexpected about Jesus revealing himself in this way? I think it's, it's easy for us. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Common phrase. We can look back and we can say, oh, yeah, I, I see how he revealed himself in my life, in my story, in various stages. And maybe for some of us, that can make sense. But I think in the, for most of us, we're very much in the present. We're looking at what's right in front of us. We're dealing with what's right ahead of us. And we expect to understand now, God, what is going on? God, I, I want you to reveal yourself now. Make this clear to me. Things should be this way. But our story today shows us that God works in a process. He works in stages as he reveals himself and teaches us. He, he created the world in six days, right? Not in, a, not in a split second. The whole story of Scripture is a process. It's, it's the story of redemption unfolding with creation and the fall in this long period of, of, uh, of redemption once Jesus comes and, and then the consummation that we look forward to. God, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so these stages of revelation are what we need. If he had revealed himself fully to us, 
then we wouldn't be able to handle it. Just like he graciously doesn't reveal fully to us our sins. We couldn't handle that either. He only shows Moses a glimpse of his back, right? So these, these stages are how God, uh, Jesus, reveals himself to us in curing our blindness. He does it here on the road with the disciples, and so he does with us. I think this means just a few, few simple things. As, as you all think about your story, hopefully you thought about that at the beginning, and you reflect on those stages, I think it's important that we actually look with grace on our younger selves. I don't know how many of y'all do that. I've, I'm, I'm just recently learning to do that. Uh, we should, by, by giving grace, looking with mercy on our younger selves, what we're doing is we're giving God credit that he was at work in our lives, even from an early stage. It's easy to kind of throw, throw out our pre-Christian years as if God wasn't there. But it's important as we reflect on those stages to see the ways that God is at work. And that's, the, that's present too. The, the, the seemingly mundane tasks of daily life, even, even, even in worship, God's at work in those, in those things. Even when we don't feel a burning in our hearts, God, God is at work in those, in those moments. In our stages of wrestling and uncertainty and doubt, God is revealing, a, revealing himself to us and growing us in spiritual maturity. And let's have faith in him with that. If you're not a Christian here today, I would encourage you to think about where, where, God, where might God be at work in your heart? Where could he be stirring in you? And to, to reflect on that, to think about that. My prayer is that uh, as we go through these stages, that it would, give us, it would give us that joy, that eagerness and earnestness to share with others, as Penny prayed, uh, the good news of who Jesus is, how he revealed himself to us, and what are the changes he, he's made in our lives as he's revealed himself to us. And my hope is that in part, part of that change would come through our study of the scriptures, how Jesus has revealed himself to us there. And so let's turn to our, our second point, this, this uh, how Jesus reveals himself in the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. The key verse there is in verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This verse is really what makes this passage famous in a lot of ways. Uh, even though it doesn't tell us exactly what he said, we, we, we can assume, we, we know that he's at least connecting the dots of the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament to, uh, to himself, to the Christ, and he's showing how the recent, he's telling these disciples how the recent events in Jerusalem are the, were necessary and they were the fulfillment of those prophecies. It's almost kind of funny the way that he, he, he's doing this and they don't realize that the guy doing it for them is the guy he's talking about. Uh, and, and especially when, uh, when you think about he showed up and said, what are y'all talking about? They thought he was like kind of clueless, like he lived under a rock or something the last few days. But they, but they, they show that... Uh, they, they, they realized later that, that this revelation of Jesus in the scriptures was integral to Jesus revealing himself. And so uh, it's, this, this process took seven miles. We're not going to take a seven-mile long trip to reveal what Jesus was talking about in the scriptures. That would have been, that was the most amazing Bible lesson in history. This is not the most amazing Bible lesson uh, in history. Uh, but I, I, and, and I think it's interesting that he's doing this. He's revealing himself here, not to Peter, not to James, not to John. He's revealing himself to these kind of fringe disciples who really, they're not really sure about him. We've already seen they had, they had some misunderstandings of who he is. 
And I wonder what that says about who Jesus will reveal himself to among us today. It's not just the mighty or the most important. But I want to offer a few simple principles, right? I just want to say, I want to theorize what, what some, of, some of what might Jesus might have been talking about in that lesson he gave them on the road to Emmaus, how he revealed himself. And uh, I think some of these will surprise us. I think these are some of the things that, are, that will be uh, unexpected. And I hope that it will enrich for all of us our personal study of God's word, especially in the Old Testament. Again, don't worry, I'm not going to start with Moses and all the prophets. These are, these are just four quick, simple ways, uh, things for you to look for. The first one is prediction. There, there are places in the Old Testament that there are direct predictions of the Messiah that point to Jesus. Psalm 2, Psalm 22, uh, Isaiah 53, the, the suffering servant. Those things, when we read script, our scriptures, uh, particularly Old Testament, look for the things that point directly. And in your, in your Gospels and the New Testament, look for the things that were fulfillments of, of the Old Testament. And the second one is types. This, this is more indirect. It's, it, can be, it can be figures like David or Moses that are types that point ahead to Jesus. But it can also be things like the whole sacrificial system can be a type of the sacrifice of who Jesus is. So when we, even when we're reading the blood and blood and blood of, the, of Leviticus, that's, that, is, that is a type of showing the, the extent of the sacrifice of, of what Jesus did and who he was. The third one is, is analogy or comparison. When you read First and Second uh, Kings, you've got good kings, you've got bad kings. And so the, the good kings point us ahead to the, the best king, Jesus. The bad kings, or uh, there's actually a lot of places in the prophets that talk about um, bad shepherds and the judgment God will give on the shepherds. And it points us to the good shepherd, right? That's who Jesus claims to be. Uh, and so it can be this, this analogy or comparison. Look for for those things in our, in our scriptures. And the last one is, is, is even more broad, is scriptural genres. When, when we read our Bibles, whatever genre we happen to find ourselves in, if, if we're in Genesis uh, or 1 or, or Samuel, the narrative, historical narrative, the protagonist of those stories is Jesus. He's the one that's really behind that story. He's driving it. And so look for how it speaks to Jesus. The second, uh, another one would be the, the law of God, the, the Deuteronomy or, or Leviticus type of books that Jesus says he is the word of God, the law of God himself. He, he is it personified, the purity and holiness and perfection of it. Uh, the, uh, the poetry books, Psalms. Psalms is uh, this wonderful book where the full range of felt human emotion is expressed there. And at the heart of it is Jesus. That Jesus' heart is what is at the center of all the Psalms. And so look for, for knowing Jesus better, for him revealing himself as you study the Psalms. He is the wisdom of Proverbs, right? So, so th- those are some just big, big genres of Scripture that we can look for Jesus in that I think will, he'll reveal himself through, and it, it'll enrich our study of God's Word. Some of you might have noticed in, our, in the order of uh, worship the, the quote of C.H. Spurgeon. This is what I think he's getting at. This is a story of an old minister talking to a younger minister, telling him that he had a bad sermon, uh, but, uh, he, because he said there was no Christ in his sermon. And the young minister objects because he says, but there were, the, the passage didn't talk about, about uh, the Christ. And the old minister answers him, Oh, but do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny hamlet in England... There is a road leading to London. 
Whenever I get hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. Well, said the young man, but suppose you're preaching from a text that doesn't, says nothing about Christ. Then I will go every hedge over every hedge and ditch, but what I will get at him. So must we do, brethren, says Spurgeon. We must have Christ in all our discourses, all our discourses. Whatever else is in or not in them, there ought to be enough gospel in every sermon to save a soul. Take care that's, that it is so when you're called to preach before Her Majesty the Queen. Always take care that there's the real gospel in every sermon. Y'all can probably imagine that uh, that's, that quote, that gets quoted a lot in preaching classes uh, in seminary. Uh, C.S. Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He's often referred to as that. So, but as much as it's the job of every, every uh, preacher to preach Christ from every text, it really is the duty of all Christians to the duty, but it's a joy to, to dig into the scriptures diligently and look for how they, they reveal who Christ is. And so, and so we do that. And I pray that for all of us, even this week, that Jesus would reveal himself to us in our study of his word. But I also pray that uh, Christ, and we're going to see how Christ revealed himself, especially in this table, even today, in the sacraments as he did to the, road, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So let's turn to that third point, Jesus revealing himself in the sacraments. The story says that they drew near to Emmaus, and at their urging, Jesus goes in to stay with them. And it's while he's at the table with them that he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Sounds familiar, right? Last Supper, night before, night on which he was betrayed. And so it says, in that moment, their eyes were opened and that they recognized him. He, he, as he gives them the bread, y'all are going to get bread in a moment. As he gives them the bread, he gives them their sight to see who he is. With their eyes open, they realize that he is the prophet mighty in deed and word. He is the one who was delivered up to be condemned and crucified. He is the one who redeemed his people Israel. His body was broken and his blood was shed, but the women's testimony was worthy, for he is the one who is risen indeed. He was risen from the dead, and then he draws near to his people, even fringe people. He draws near and he walks with them as the incarnate word of God, revealing himself in the inscripturated word of God. And he's the one who makes himself known even in this table, in the sacrament. The uh, early church fathers called this the medicine of immortality. It's the, it's the bread of life that flows through us as we eat of it by faith. It's a means of grace that was, as we partake of it, we participate in the life of Christ. And it says he vanishes. It's kind of strange. Why would he vanish? But their eyes are opened now. What does scripture say? As Christians, we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. And so they do. But who would have expected that such simple things as bread and wine could be used in such a powerful way to reveal the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Who would have thought that such a simple meal would nourish our eternal souls? Who would have expected that the table that God prepares for us in the presence of our enemies would be the table at which God sits down with those who were once his enemies? 
This sacrament is a sign of the new covenant that God gives to his people. Noah had what? The rainbow, right? He gives, he gives Abraham the sign of circumcision. And these are, these are signs. That all, all covenants have signs associated with them. And the signs are to assure us of God's promises. And so God knows that for Abraham, he's almost 100 years old, the promise of you're gonna, you are going to bear a son, he'd have, he'd have a kind of a hard time believing that. So he gave him a sign that he could not miss that it was going to come from him. But in, and in the same way, this table is a sign to assure us that when Jesus says that he will, behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, but then he vanishes? He goes away? No, no. This, this is God's assurance to us that he is with us always. This is his, this is his visible picture. This is the, the, the verse in your bulletins, 1 Peter. This is what he's talking about when he says, In this, your salvation, you rejoice, even though, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith or sight, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Though, this, this is it. Though you have not seen him, pretty sure no one in here has seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your sight, the outcome of your belief that the, that the salvation is given to your souls, salvation of your souls. And so though we cannot see Jesus physically, Jesus gives us this physical picture of himself in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We come here with our sufferings to the table of communion so that we might commune with him in his sufferings, bringing our own. We come to the table regularly, even as we will in a moment, to be reminded and assured of who Christ is, of what he has done, and that he has indeed revealed himself to us. He's given us salvation. Who would have expected that? We certainly didn't deserve it. And so as we prepare to come to this table in a moment, let's ask the Lord to make himself known to us more fully, meditating on how he reveals himself to us in the various stages of life, in the scriptures themselves, and in the sacrament. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in the salvation that you have purchased for us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in various times and in various ways. We thank you that you're always at work in our hearts and lives. Father, would you help us to see where you are at work, where you have been at work? And would you make us to walk closer with you as you draw near and walk closely with us? Show us yourself in your word. Fill our hearts with joy. And even now, God, would you come to this table to be present with us. Make us hungry to feast on you and open wide the eyes of the faith in our hearts. Be present with us in this holy meal, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.